Well, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 20, verses 45 uh, through chapter 21, verse 4. It's not nearly as long as it sounds, just a few verses actually when I give it that reference. And boys and girls, make sure you have your children's bulletin. You can't miss it this morning. Man, I think this thing has batteries. That is bright. You have your own translation in there, a place you can ask questions. Make sure you have that so you can use that. <clears throat> and for the rest of you, it's printed for you in your bulletin, or you can open up your apps on your smartphone or old-fashioned Bible if you actually still make those. And let's go together uh, first to God's Word and then uh, to prayer. Luke chapter 20, verse 45. <clears throat> and in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come before Your Word this morning, we do ask that You would meet us here. That Your Word would do its surgery, Lord, of cutting us to the heart. That we might see more of ourselves more to repent of and more to flee to Your grace offered to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us a bigger picture of Jesus today, we ask. Amen. We kind of skipped ahead. We were in Luke chapter 9 last time, but I really loved this passage and kind of thought this would be a good kind of farewell uh, passage um, for those of you who've been you know, uh, in a cave on Mars with your eyes closed and your fingers in your ears. Um, this is my last Sunday here. And so I thought the, the best thing to do would be to focus like a laser on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners. And so in this part of Luke, Jesus has been on the offensive against the religious leaders. And now he, he's going to contrast these religious leaders with just a normal, faithful person. And his point is very simple. It's not the most theologically astute or informed who are in the kingdom it's not those who have the appearance of godliness who are on God's list of favorites, as we tend to think. Rather, it's those who have been changed by grace into lovers of God instead of lovers of self. That's who God favors because He first favors them. And so Jesus starts out by giving a warning and then an example. So let's look at the warning here in, in chapter 20. Those of us who see Christianity as kind of a, a doing of a, a list of things we're supposed to do, this is going to be difficult for us. Those of us who are enamored with church life and church practices and, and programs, kind of more than we are with Jesus himself, we need to be careful and pay attention here. I want to set the scene for you, what's going on here. This is the last week of Jesus' life. Most likely within 48 hours of him saying these words, He's going to be on the cross. We're that close to the end of it for Jesus. 
And so he is just laying it all on the table. The cross was not a surprise to him. He knew it was coming. And so he's trying to get it all out there. And so in verse 45, the text is very specific to make sure we don't miss it. This is public. He is critiquing leaders, not privately. He's doing it publicly. It wasn't secret. It wasn't hidden. And what are Jesus' instructions he gives his disciples here? Two days before he's going to die. He says, don't be like them publicly. He tells them to beware. Or we could even translate it vernacularly, be on your guard. Take vigilant effort not to be like these religious people. Remember, these religious people could hear him. Everybody could hear him. And who were these people? Jesus tells us in verse 46 and 47, they were idolatrous hypocrites is what he says. And how do we know this? Because they love to wear these long robes and be seen. It was an ostentation. That's a big word that means they like to be fancy and be recognized for who they are. They love greetings in the marketplace. They love for people to know, oh, wow, that's a really important religious person. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted special treatment. Uh, Many of you know about, gosh, 10 years ago now, I was part of my job as a pastor in St. Louis was I was a fire department chaplain for four years as well. And, and as I was there for a little bit longer, I got to give a little kind of introduction to most of the new recruit class that would come in. And one of the things that, I, that they, the chiefs asked me to emphasize was, look, when you're not on duty, don't wear your uniforms. Because the uniform, especially a fire department uniform, does something special. I had a full-fledged uniform with a badge, and instead of little, little horns, I had crosses. I mean, it was pretty sharp-looking. And a couple times when some firefighters got injured and I would go see them, I noticed something in hospitals. Doctors, not just nurses, but doctors and people wearing white coats would go out of their way to stop me and make sure I was getting help. That never happened when I did a hospital visit like this to a church member. So I actually started wearing my fire department uniform to hospital visits because you get special treatment. People help you. And that's what's going on here. See these new, these new recruits in the fire department and these scribes. I think, hey, I get free donuts if I wear my fire department uniform to the, to the donut shop. Hey, little kids look at me like, whoa, if I'm wearing this in the grocery store. And we're like, don't do that. Because you'll forget, and then you'll go and you'll have a beer. Why? And people think, oh, is he on duty? Drink? Don't do that. Don't wear this thing for special recognition. That's what Jesus says here. Look, man, you care about wearing the uniform to get special recognition. That's why you're so religious. You don't love God. You're not rejoicing that God has revealed his way through these Old Testament things on how to be close. Because look, they think I'm better than them if I wear this. They loved the greetings. They loved the best seats in the synagogue. They felt like they mattered because of their religious practices. They were supposed to be servants of the people, but they actually used their religion to be served. See, when you read the Gospels, one of the things you notice about Jesus is that he is really bothered by hypocrisy. He tends to confront it publicly a lot. If you're here this morning and you're not sure if you would call yourself a Christian, one of the things you're very sensitive to is hypocrisy in churched people. That's actually very Christ-like of you. See, Jesus is full of mercy and compassion for sinners, but we see him over and over again when he sees religious people wearing a cloak of religion while living in wickedness. 
he was indignant and he called it out publicly. See, it wasn't just that these guys were fake. Here's what made this so bad on part of the scribes. They were hurting the weakest, most needy people in the community. Widows were back then especially, still kind of are today, a tangible reminder of the presence of death, our enemy. In, in that culture especially, their husband was their security. Their husband was their social standing. Their husband was their economic security. And they were left, of, they left bereft, we could say, of hope and support when a husband was gone. And God had ordained that it was the official religious leaders who were given the command to care for such widows. They were on God's heart. The scribes should have defended them. Instead, Jesus says that these scribes took charge of the property of widows to manage it, but rather than managing it well, they actually embezzled. Now, what about us? Okay, thanks, Jesus, but I don't know about you. I I haven't taken any money from a widow lately. Have you? Yeah, yeah. So what do we do with this? Well, who are the widows in our culture? How How do we bring this from them to us? What's the vulnerable? It's the down and out. It's the people maybe on government assistance. I mean, and for us in a church like this, what is our first instinct towards those people? Let us not show a lack of compassion because of political beliefs or economic beliefs when Jesus says, my people are to be salt and light. Or another way maybe this applies to us, so often it's the supposed hypocrisy of Christians that keeps people from coming to church and experiencing the work of God through, through the gospel, through the means of grace. Let's not hurt seeking sinners by making people think this place is a showcase of religion, of people who have it all together, right? Let Trinity be known as a hospital for sinners. Make sure it's obvious to Orangeburg that we come here weekly to hear again the good news of grace, to experience God's forgiveness in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to show off how much we have everything together. Right? That's why we come, right? See, don't, and don't miss this. Don't miss what's behind this hypocrisy. He tells us in verse 46 and 47, again, it's idolatry. In verse 46, that it's an idol of fame. It's an idol of recognition. It's an idol of, of wanting to feel important. We all struggle with that idol. Deep down, we want to feel like we matter. And in verse 47, is the idols of money, the idols of power. And the scribes were using their religious practices not to grow closer to God and serve the community, but to sate their idols, to feel good about themselves. See, these men did not shepherd and guide. They used religious practices to bring glory to themselves. Take that to heart, dear flock. It is possible to know the Scriptures. It is possible to be involved and to know the rituals and practice of Christianity, of church world, and still be an idolater. We can feel conviction from the Holy Spirit in an area of our life, and we can refuse to submit whatever that thing is because it's precious to us in that moment. It's more precious than Jesus. We can do that. We can be scribes. 
Remember, Jesus is saying all of this publicly. And it's very disturbing. He just said to the people listening to him, the most godly and well thought of people, the folk who everybody knew they're right with God, God likes them. Actually, not really. See, scribes and Pharisees, because of 2,000 years of usage, has become a bad word. It wasn't a bad word to them. It was a good word. You wanted to be a scribe or a Pharisee. And so they're looking at this going, them? They're not right with God? See, we can fall into that trap too, can't we? We, we tend to think of Christianity so often as a bunch of external things. Especially having your life together, being moral, being normal. It creates an atmosphere in the church where you're not allowed to have issues. You're not allowed to have struggles. And if you do, you're afraid to talk about them. Because church people have it all together, right? It would shock you if you knew, because people for some reason feel it's something they have to confess to their pastor, if you knew how many people in our congregation were on anti-anxiety meds. And they think it's some sort of sin. They come to me seeking for me to make it okay. I'm like, yeah, it's called common grace. If you have a cold, you take a pill. That, that, take a pill, absolutely. Get your happy back. But, oh, but, you know, but I'm a Christian. Shouldn't I have it? I'm like, man, no. Sometimes you need that. It's a common grace. But we think, oh, well, if you're a Christian, you've got everything together, right? You can't do that. that. That's weakness. And we're supposed to be weak. That's why we need Jesus, because he's strong. Well, let's make sure we're not being scribes and saying Christians have it all together. And if you don't have it all together, well, maybe you don't belong here. We would never say that. But then again, sometimes we say that. You see, Jesus is attacking this particular attitude right here. In the minds of the common folk, they're looking at this going, well, if they're not right with God, who can be saved? See, it's a question that doesn't understand grace. It assumes we have to perform for God's people. These people are doing so much for God. If Jesus says they're not right, where's the hope for us? Because I can't do more than they can do. Have you ever thought that? I can't do enough to make... I never feel right. I can't do it. See, that's a question that doesn't understand the gospel. It assumes we have to perform. It assumes that there's some sort of way we can manipulate God into being gracious to us. But Jesus comes along as trying to teach God wants to be gracious to you. God has been gracious to you. He's offered you grace. Just take it. Don't try to earn it. Don't try to fool him and look how pretty I am, God. Can I have a gift? Christianity is not a Miss America pageant, is it? Maybe part of your heart, even right now, looks at your failures. Looks at your week and says, you don't know what I did on Wednesday. You don't know. I felt bad about it. I did. I said, God, I told God I was sorry. And the very next day I did it again. How can I be saved? I'm a hypocrite. Can I be saved? See, Jesus attacks those who are externally religious to get all of us to look deeper and say, what can I do to be saved? So we come to the end of a rope and we say, I can't do anything to make myself right with God. And that's right where you need to be because the answer to can I be saved is yes because of the gospel. God loves and so he sent Jesus to rescue sinners. 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Dear flock, believe that. Jesus presses this issue because He wants His listeners to understand grace. Oh, for Christians, we need to be honest about our failures as Christians. Don't fall into the trap of caring more about how other people see you as opposed to how God sees you in Christ. See, God gives us rest from performance in Jesus. Others demand that we perform. That's why Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because He offers us rest. Whereas others say, as long as you keep me happy, I will love you. But if you make my life difficult, we're going to have problems. See, our sin makes us prone to pretend to be near to God even when we're not. We trade true peace for religious performance. Oh, precious flock, repent of that even now. Admit with me that we are weak, we are helpless, we are needy. We too can slip into a, a hypocritical judgmentalism. We do it very easily. We can replace real joy, a real relationship to God through Jesus Christ for a bunch of exhausting religious activity. And that's not gospel. There's no hope in that. And you can tell when that has taken over because this spirit of apathy just comes in and exhaustion. We've got to do what now? And We're doing something else again because it becomes about the activities and not about rejoicing in the grace of God first and then letting that lead us. Oh, what do you think Christianity is? Is really the question of this text. Is it performing? Is it morality? Is it being nice? Is it a lifestyle? Be careful. Such a view of Christianity is a path to the hypocritical religion of the scribes. <laughs> that almost sounds like Yoda there. Be careful. Anger leads to hate. Hate is the path to the... Okay, sorry. See, but to help us avoid that, what does he do? He gives us this example. says, don't do this. And then he, I love how Jesus does this. He goes, but hey, watch this. So let me set the scene for you as the scene changes. So this is a free will offering this poor widow is coming up to do. This is not a normal tithe. This is very much like our faith promise giving. This is something above and beyond. You do it, the Old Testament says, because of a moving of the heart. So yes, my good Presbyterians, are supposed to be something happening in your chest called an emotion, and it causes you to do something. That's what this a free will offering is about. And so um, it was this place in the temple context, in the complex, there were 13 metal trumpet-looking thing. So imagine in your mind a large trumpet, you know, so small pipe and it gets bigger, right? And it's made of metal. So imagine what happens when you put coins in these things, right? This is loud. And this is a place where this was specifically used most common for the needs of the poor. So it's kind of like our diaconal fund and faith promise and all this stuff put together. So it was for the poor. So here comes a poor widow. She should be making a withdrawal, not a deposit basically, but she comes in because of a stirring of her heart, because she loves God. God has done something she wants to give, and so she does. Look with me at verses 1 and 2, how Jesus sets this scene. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. So imagine this. He sees all the rich coming up with metal coins, 13 metal trumpets. Right? It was obvious who 
gave a lot and who didn't. And I believe in the context of him pointing out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders that there was probably, it's safe to say, some showboating here. Right? Oh, I'm not going to give every week. I'm going to stockpile this so I can come in once a month and I can go... You're welcome. Right? So imagine that going, that's this cacophony over and over again. And all of a sudden Jesus sees... be very obvious, very embarrassing perhaps, even shameful. I mean, Jesus says she's very poor. How does he know? Clink, clink. And how does Jesus respond? Look at me at verse 3. This poor woman has put in more than all of them. Now, boys and girls, Pastor Sham is never that good at math. Not that good at math now. But that just sounds silly, doesn't it? I mean, all these coins versus plunk, plunk. Isn't that, isn't that a little small? Don't you think? How, how does Jesus say that's more? Maybe Jesus has trouble with math like I do. Or maybe he's trying to teach us something. Remember, widows were down and out, typically. Their social status, their economic security, their worth was in a man. Widows in that culture were the epitome of hopelessness and helplessness. Throughout the prophets, when they wanted to give an example of that, they used widows. But even in that low state, what does she do? She gives. And Jesus commends her for it. Look at me at verse 4. Jesus commends her and says what? She put in all she had to live on, even in her poverty. Now here, or I'm supposed to shift gears, right? Here, I'm supposed to tell you, man, you better give until it hurts. How dare you have any discretionary income and not give it to God? Haven't you seen the budget numbers of this church? You should be more like this widow. But I hope after almost five years, if I've done anything, I hope that you see that the Scriptures are not primarily an example for us of how to be. But according to Luke 24, the Scriptures are primarily an example of who Jesus is and what He's done. Ultimately, it's always all about Jesus. The Bible's not about us. It's about Him. And so we dig in and say, okay, how is Jesus in this text? Well, all she had to live on is not exactly what Jesus said. Literally, Jesus says this. He says, she put in her whole life. Not all she had to live on. She put in her whole life. See, if it were only about money, there's a way easier way to say that in the original language. In fact, a much more clear way. He didn't say she put in all she had to live on. That's not, that's not what she did. Instead, Jesus looks at this and he says, man, such a gift. Such a minuscule free will gift from an extremely poor person shows a total surrender to God. A way of saying, everything I am, my whole life is God's. In a way the scribes never did, this poor person does. See, she has somehow, before this text, we don't know, she's had a radical encounter with the grace of God. And that grace has empowered her to give sacrificially. She wanted to give. She put in her whole life out of love. College football season is coming up. We could say this widow was all in. She was ready. 
See, somehow she had collided with God's grace. She was no longer concerned about herself. She wasn't concerned about her need. And Jesus says she put in all of her life. Oh, the gospel is right here in this little passage if we have the ears to hear it. Before a holy God, we are all widows. The most helpless, needy people around. In desperate need of help. In desperate need of assistance. In desperate need of provision. In desperate need of grace. And thanks be to God, He is not like the scribes. He doesn't take what little we have and consume us in His wrath. This is all you got? I said be perfect. You ain't even close. Two coins? Fire! No, that's not how God is. We think that sometimes, but that's not who He has revealed Himself as He is. What does He do instead? Because of the great love He has for us, Jesus, God incarnate, He gave His life on the cross, letting Himself be consumed by the wrath of God for our lack of holiness. What we deserved, Christ got so we could be free from sin and death. You see, Jesus looks at this widow and I believe He sees a little bit of Himself. Rich scribes take from widows, He says, so they can have more. This widow gives herself so God could have more. Which is exactly what we see in the gospel. On the cross, we see God give everything he has so he could have us. Being fully devoted to his father, Jesus put in his whole life to vindicate the holiness of God to redeem a people for himself. You see, when we see Jesus put his whole life in for us on the cross, it changes us. Instead of looking to our performance, instead of looking to our goodness, instead of looking to our niceness, our church attendance, or whatever it is we look to, instead of all that stuff the scribes did, instead we rest in Jesus Christ, the beautiful grace he's given us in the gospel. See, true religion Biblical Christianity is not performance so that God will be impressed with us. That's what the scribes did. But rather, it's the work of Christ on our behalf sets us free. His performance, not our performance, makes us all in with God. And when we rest our hearts on that, we can, oh, I don't have to perform anymore. And so if I could just make a final plea after I counted it up, 54 sermons. Be all in for the gospel. Give your whole life to God. Don't be about worship style. Who cares? Don't be about a preaching style. Who cares? Don't be about a relationship style. Who cares? Don't be about a certain feel to the church, certain programs. Who cares? All those are issues of preference. Orangeburg doesn't need Trinity's preferences. Orangeburg needs Trinity to be all in for the gospel. The gospel is the only hope for sinners. For those of us who know him, Jesus is worth our whole life because He has given us His whole life. And so the question is, will you, now that He has set you free by going all in, will you go all in as this widow did, empowered by grace 
giving out of your want and lack, but still being all in? That's the question. And it'd mess Orangeburg up if he answered it right. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, your grace is amazing. And Lord, honesty demands that we just recognize right now that we are all hardwired to perform for you. It's what we naturally do. We perform for others. We even perform for ourselves. We treat you, Lord, like we treat our friends on Facebook, only putting our best forward, trying to make our life look amazing so that you'll think highly of us. Oh, thank God you're not Facebook. Instead, you're the gracious God who sees how ugly we are, and you love us anyway. Father, would you, would you come right now and overwhelm our hearts with the reality of the love you have for us in Jesus Christ? of the reality of the gospel, that there is nothing we can do to impress you or earn your salvation because you look upon us with grace. That in Jesus Christ, those incredible words you said at his baptism are ours. This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Lord, would you help us to believe that and from that anchor of your pleasure in us, Would you make us servants that you can use to mess up our neighborhoods and our town? Make us worshipers. Make us all in by your grace, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?